Welcome along to episode 750 of the Mill Bar. Jason Forrest here with you as ever and coming up on what sounds like a milestone show, but falls in a random place because we've been doing it that long. We will be hearing from one of the cast of GGG Bang Bang at the Grand from Bilston Operatic. We'll be talking to CJ Tudor, the author of The Burning Girls and now a series on Paramount+. Plus. Fatima Whitbread and the team at the National Fostering Council let us know about the need and opportunities there for foster carers. We'll be having an atta with James Wong all about how getting the mud between your toes can be jolly good fun and good for your mental health. And also hear from Yo Valley about their organic yoghurt range too. Plus we'll be having Atta with Jamie Lonsdale. He has a single out which is marking Remembrance Weekend this weekend. That's all on the way on the show this week. Welcome to the milk bar. 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 Now, uh, with the launch of The Burning Girls on Paramount+, Plus, there's supernatural things afoot. However, it seems we're all used to feeling there are spirits around us. That's what the research is telling us. Somebody who knows all about the show, mostly because she's the author and one of the exec producers on it, is CJ Tudor, who joins me now. How are you doing? Hello, I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Well, good to talk to you. And uh, so I can call you cows, can't I? You can, yes. Which is all good. Right, so, Kaz, tell me a bit more about this research to begin with before we start getting excited about the Burning Girls. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it shows basically, we, it seems like we're a nation of believers in the supernatural. Something like seven out of ten people believe that they are, they're convinced that ghost spirits and apparitions are real. And 38% believe they've actually seen a ghost or an apparition. And then one in five think that their house could be haunted too. So it seems we, we are certainly ready to believe we are believers in the supernatural but i'm not actually that surprised by that to be honest i think that you know we have a a tradition almost in the country we've got every town or village has tales of the, the house that's got certain ghosts we have ghost walks we have all oh, this is the most haunted house in britain no this is the most haunted house in britain this is the most haunted pub so <laughs> i think there's a long history and tradition of ghosts and and ghost stories in this country so i think it's almost embedded in us from quite an early age you know i grew up reading ghost stories i know lots of kids did as well scooby-doo you know so i think yeah it's it's not that surprising that people are, are willing i think to be ready to believe yeah we, we often will feel there's some sort of presence there and we may not understand what it is some people may attribute that to a ghost others it may yeah. be indigestion so you know there's all sorts of things <laughs> going on around us that can can sort of uh, change uh, our perception of the world uh, and when it comes down to your writing i mean uh are you somebody who believes uh in this side of uh, a spiritual world and then are writing around it or is it just a uh, are you writing for your audience who want to really explore the potential of this magical world i've i've always been really fascinated in in the supernatural when i was a kid i probably really did believe in ghosts and i used to scare myself terribly even though i kept on reading ghost stories and true ghost stories and i think as an adult you become a bit more rational but there's still that kind of you know if, if i was walking through a, a graveyard at night i would probably get a bit of a move on you know i wouldn't linger <laughs> So I, I'm fairly open-minded, but I still love writing about it. I think perhaps there's something in all of us that kind of always wonders or would like there to be something other than this world or would like there to be things perhaps we can't explain. But it is, we can explain so much these days. Maybe even more so, we'd like to know there is, there is stuff that perhaps, perhaps we don't know everything. Perhaps there is something else. 
Sometimes it's good to not quite understand. And people will be intrigued and have to work out what's going on uh, as you head through the Burning Girls. And this is your fourth novel that's been yeah, converted into is. this amazing sh- series. And uh, I mean, there's there's so much more of your work out there. Anyone who hasn't come to it yet needs to start picking up a few books and having to read as well as watching this Fab TV show. Thank you. Yeah, that would be that'd be fantastic if they would. Yeah, it's my fourth book. Um, and, and I think all of my books kind of mix that kind of they're mysteries, you know, they're, they're mystery books, they're thrillers. But there's also quite often an element of the supernatural or an element of certainly a creepy undertone in the books as well. And and this, the Burning Girls very much mixes up that sort of supernatural with a sort of psychological horror and a small town mystery. It's kind of all in the blend there, basically. But when we're not talking Scooby-Doo level, we're not going to unmask somebody who's wearing a big rubber mask and blame it on no. those pesky kids, the fact <laughs> they didn't get away with it. This is so much more than that. I mean, this is, yeah, I mean, the, the, the work that you put into these and the way the story develops, again, this is the reason why uh, we're now looking at the Paramount Plus TV show, because there is so much going on in your work. Oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a book with quite a lot going on. I mean, basically, it's, it's sort of set in this small small village called Chapelcroft, which is in the, the southeast of England. Um, and it's a village for a, with a very dark and macabre history. Hundreds of years ago, Protestant martyrs were burnt at the stake during Queen Mary's purge of the Protestants. And two of the young girls are supposed to still haunt the chapel. They're the, the burning girls of the title. Um, but also, you know, 30 years ago in this village, two other young girls mysteriously disappeared. And more recently, that the local vicar hung himself in the chapel. So into this village comes the new vicar, Reverend Jack Brooks, um, which is Samantha Morton in the television series, and her teenage daughter, Flo. And they think they're going to this idyllic village to make a fresh start, but they soon find it's anything but that. They start getting creepy messages, they're left an old exorcism kit, and, and they're kind of drawn into this, this village's, you know, dark history. And they find that plenty of the villagers have secrets that they'd rather stay buried. So it's, yeah, it's part psychological horror. I was influenced a lot when writing it by things like The Wicker Man as well, that kind of folk horror Mm -hmm. tradition. Um, But it's also very much like a small town kind of mystery as well. I think that sounds rather exciting. So uh, Paramount Plus is the place to find this. And uh, is is it all available to to watch now or are we getting it week by week? No, it is totally binge worthy right now. I think, you know, we're all impatient these days, aren't we? We like to be able to binge watch if we can. So, yes, so we're all six episodes, six episodes hour-long episodes are available actually to watch right now sounds good to me and i mean it must be great to be part of this as well not only having done the written work but also making sure that it's your story as it stands makes it to the screen in uh, your, your producer role too yeah i've been very very lucky that you know the, the production team and the directors and everyone involved has been really collaborative process so right from the start we sat down and had big conversations about the book and the plot and the characters um so I felt, you know, very confident they were going to be really true to the book and, and you know, really make it authentic. Um, and the casting and everything has just been, you know, such so perfect, really. So I'm very lucky. It's been a great experience in, you know, transitioning the book to the screen. Well, there's something that's say, available now for everyone to enjoy. All you need is that Paramount Plus subscription and you could be enjoying viewing the Burning Girls and finding out what's gone in in this village and whether it's the, the past influencing the future or uh, something a little more down to earth. That'll be up to you to work out as you go along. Up to Kaz to uh, tease you with as she tells her tale on screen. And of course, we can find you and all your books too. So where do we find you as CJ Tudor uh, when we want to see your work? 
Oh, well, I mean, you can obviously you can find all, all my books in all, all good bookstores and, and you know, Amazon and, and, and all those sort of things. And if you know, if you want to interact or ask any questions about books or TV, I'm, I'm always lurking around on, on Twitter at CJ Tudor or Facebook or Instagram at CJ Tudor author. So, yeah, come, you come and say hi. But uh, do that. But in the meanwhile, uh, watch The Burning Girls and then ask questions Absolutely. later. I think that could be the way to do it. Yeah. Get yourself to Paramount <laughs> Plus. Kaz, CJ Tudor, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. The magic of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is being brought to life by Bilston Operatic on the stage of the Grand between the 8th and the 11th of November. Uh, somebody who you'll be booing and hissing at, well, you would if it was a pantomime, it's not a pantomime, is the child catcher. That is Nick Sullivan, who joins me now. Hello. Hiya, Jason. All right. I'm good. How are you and are you ready for it? Um, I'm fine. After the trauma of getting through to you on Zoom, absolutely fine. Thank That's you. That's good. There we, 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 we bear with the technology because it makes magic moments. And uh, there's going to be some absolutely <laughs> magical moments in this production because there's a flying car. There is indeed, as well as people who fly in it. We've got a stellar cast, literally, up in the stars. <laughs> now, obviously, brilliant work from Bilston every single time. Uh, in fact, I think my, my timeline reminded me of an event where you got particularly long hair for a Christmas carol a few years back. Uh, this time round, are you uh, donning a wig for your uh, appearance? Well, you can tell that it's not long hair from this. Yes, I am donning a wig, or at least hair extensions. I've yet to see the wig. But um, up to now, I've been using hair extensions and they've been quite successful. So we shall see. It's certainly going to be sinister, though, Jason. What going to be the child catcher, a nasty piece of work. The, the fact that uh, uh, this is a, a fun family show means it, you, there's a bit of comeuppance that must be coming your way. I don't want to spoil the plot. I want people <laughs> to come and see and I'm not going to say he gets a comeuppance or not. But let's just say there's a very dramatic moment with children at the end of the show. And you've got a great cast. So uh, give us some, some of the names. Uh, the our, our Andran groups in the Midlands are absolutely awesome, and um, which is why they're performing on stages like the Grand. So uh, give us the, uh, the, the the rundown of who we can expect to see here, please. Let's go through the order of sort of um, line late, shall we? There's Caracatus Potts, who's played by the wonderful Alec White. He was in Kinky Boots. You saw that, didn't you? He was I Charlie. Did. did an excellent job there, and he's doing a cracking job here wonderful expressive face as well as beautiful musicality then there's izzy check who's um someone who's been a stalwart in um, our company for a long time and this is her big chance to have a big part and she is truly scrumptious and truly <laughs> scrumptious voice of an angel and then well they're the children now we are particularly blessed with our two jemimas and our two jeremy's we've got um dan webb who you saw in kinky boots as the young charlie pert mm -hmm. Yes, and um, we've got a lovely young lad called Oliver Rudge, who's actually had great experience with other companies as well. And the two girls, there's Eden, and she is absolutely lovely, Eden. Eden Owen is her full name. And then there's Lara, Lara Maguire. And Lara was in Peter Pan last year, and she stole the show for me. And I think she might steal the show again. So it's going to be truly awesome. And as you've already mentioned, truly scrumptious. <laughs> songs for example chitty chitty bang gang and truly scrumptious and hushabye mountain oh i love hushabye that, mountain. No, that is a beautiful song. wherever you put that song it's amazing well they, it happens it reprises it. Oh, i just love that song it's one of my favorite and then we've got lovely um baron and baroness who sing some gorgeous comedy songs together we've got a lovely new lady in called um stacy love it and we've got uh, john uh, ranwell playing the baron and together they make a lovely couple on stage uh, very cleverly acted out 
And I don't want you to forget the two spies. They have that little magic element in the show. They are absolutely brilliant. It's um, Ben Evans and Ollie Durham. They're both members of Bilston for some time, but I love the way these two have melded together to create a unique style of comedy, Jason. They are so clever. They are so clever. Now, I know Ben, and I've seen Ben in loads of things, and he's he's so expressive. Another talented musician as well, which is the, the, the fun part. And uh, But so he's, the, the faces he can pull, it's going to work, isn't it? Oh, it is a delight to watch him. If it was a silent movie, you'd understand everything would be happening with those two. But fortunately, we've got words and a fantastic song from them as well. So bonus, bonus, bonus. For me, uh, the theme tune to Chitty Chitty Bang Bang has a special place in my heart on the grounds it was one Go of the on. things I used to play on violin as a kid. Now... I'm, really? I'm, I'm not going to suggest for a minute that there's any openings in the orchestra. And certainly uh, I, my violin is beyond repair, I believe. But uh, it does mean that I know the, the theme tune well and I'm very much looking forward to hearing it. Because it's such a technical show, we're opening one day later than usual. But we've put in an extra matinee to actually encourage people to come and see it. So no one's deprived of this wonderful show. Because I believe it's the first time it's actually been in the ground, either professionally or as an amateur company. That is, as far as I'm aware, true as well. And uh, it, it's one of those shows which, I mean, there's been so much excitement about when it's, it's been in London and, it, and it's toured. But it just didn't get to everywhere, did it? And I think it was around the pandemic. It was uh, actually all in the air and up in the air because of it. So <laughs> Very apt for Chitty. Yes, go best. on. Uh, but uh, so I know it, it is going to be quite a treat for everyone to see this for the first time on stage. And it's, it's based on the film, but it's also got some of the magic from the book as well. That uh, it's slightly different the way it's brought to the stage. Correct. Um, Ian Fleming, of course, wrote the book. I mean, everyone thinks of him being the writer for James Bond. But I think knowing James Bond, writer writes a good narrative. He writes a good narrative for children as well. He wrote mm -hmm. it for his son. Um, yeah. But it's actually quite close. I think those of us who remember the move from 1968 and every time it's put on, on television, um, it's fairly close to that, um, the actual storyline. And um, I think people won't be disappointed in any sense that the memories that they have of the film won't be seen on the stage. I actually think that the stage makes it more vivid, more alive in many ways. Um, they're in for a treat. They're in for a treat. Well, you get to see the car fly as well in front of you, which I think is even more impressive than 1960s special effects, isn't it? So, Yeah, absolutely. Um, and as I say, the cast, the cast is just so strong. One person I did mention, who I think I ought to mention, is Grandpa. Now, that's a part that Lionel Jeffries played, and we're very lucky that we actually have Mike James, another very well-established actor in our company, playing this part. He gets the lovely humour that uh, Jeffries got out, but he's brought his own little twist to it as well, which I think makes it... Truly charming. Well, it's going to be absolutely awesome. I know that. Break an egg and don't be too cruel to uh, any kids that are running around on stage. Make sure that uh, you, you know you know they're, they're they're safe by the end of the night. However, it's, uh, it's going to be worth seeing the wonderful Chitty Chitty Bang Bang at the Grand Theatre. Oh one nine zero two four two nine two one two. The box office number: grandtheatre.co.uk to get your tickets. Check out Bilson Operatic Company on Facebook, and you can see some brilliant uh, little snapshots of all the cast before you head along. And it runs from the eighth through to the eleventh of November so it is absolutely well worth a look. Uh, Nick Sullivan at Childcatcher in the show, thank you for joining us It's a pleasure Jason and we've got a very good and dynamic production team of Ty Harris Martin Davis and Gareth Howard who've made sure it's going to be perfect
With a brand new song released to mark Remembrance Sunday this coming weekend, Jamie Lonsdale has got a very personal story to his family behind the track, and he joins me now to tell me what's going on. Hello, sir. Hello, Jason, and uh, thank you very much for inviting me on your show. Well, no problem at all. Good to talk to you. Now, the song itself is a hymn, Eternal Father, Strong to Save. But the, the, the reason this has come about is because of some very personal letters that you discovered in the family archive. Yes, uh, th that's that's right. And why I chose Eternal Father is because uh, it's the naval hymn. And because my family invariably have a history of joining the armed forces, uh, I decided to rebel, not join the family regiment, uh, which is the Grenadiers, and uh, I joined the Royal Navy. So mm -hmm. every Sunday at sea, we would sing this naval hymn and on all important occasions. So it means a lot to me, and particularly Remembrance Sunday, where I remember my great uncle, Norman Somerset, who was killed uh, after a few days of arriving on the continent uh, at Ypres, in 1914 on my birthday, 23rd of October. Yeah, so an interesting link there and a uh, connection to the family. Obviously, terribly sad that he lost his life under such horrendous circumstances, but that was often the case in World War One, wasn't it? It was a conflict these days has, has changed. We still see atro atrocities and, and terrible loss of life, but in a, a different way. It was, it was uh, uh, really... You know, the, the way in which the, the battles were fought then are very different to what we see now. Absolutely. And, you know, nobody ever expected World War I to be so, so grim. Uh, I think, you know, I've got these lovely little letters home from Norman when he, when he arrived uh, at Ypres and he was writing these scribbled notes from the trenches dearest mama and papa uh today we saw the enemy for the first time and we chased them down the road and i i don't think anyone had a clue how serious it would be mm -hmm. and 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 they all expected to be home for christmas and that was october yeah all war is horrendous but this was uh, something which was a, a defense of uh, of our nation in europe that uh, I think no one had really prepared themselves for, and uh, there was a, a link between your uncle and the royal family as well, wasn't there? Well, that's right. And so uh, Edward, Prince of Wales, was training with him uh, in the army, and they were very close friends. Um, his his mother, Queen Mary, was godmother to to my grandmother. Um, his his sister. And so there was a there was a strong family link, and I think um, Prince of Wales was devastated when he heard that Norman had been been killed. And in fact, my father saw him many, many, many years later. And when my father said that actually Norman had been his uncle, um, he, he, Edward burst into tears. Mm -hmm. And you know that was probably fifty years later. So, so there was a sort of tremendous li link. Unfortunately for Norman, he was, as with so many Grenadier officers, they're invariably six foot four, 
Mm -hmm. So, of course, the enemy knew exactly which ones to pick off by sniper as as they walked down the road. And um, and unfortunately for Norman, he was shot in the eye and it was instant. Yeah, which I suppose is a blessing. The only blessing there is it would have been uh, something he probably wouldn't even known it was coming. That's the uh, the only thing. Nothing long and drawn down because obviously there was difficult times as well for those injured. Uh, uh, we're talking a time when you, you no antibiotics and on on the front line. You know, it would there would have been uh, difficult and and dangerous should anyone receive an injury. Absolutely. And what drew my grandparents together? They married in in 1926. Was that they had both lost a brother. And so my my other great uncle was also killed, Raymond Lonsdale, and uh, in fact his his was probably worse because he was injured, and he, he was on his way back to England, and uh, and and died in France on the journey. Mm -hmm. So obviously a difficult time for the family back then. Important to remember those sacrifices now. And although Norman hadn't had the opportunity to show his full potential within the uh, theatre of war, uh, he was someone who was being, he was there for king and country. Absolutely, as as indeed so many were. And so you know, from my point of view, I I I always went to church on Remembrance Sunday with my grandmother, and I would see her crying throughout the service. So it made a, a deep impression on me. And so a few years ago, I wrote a song in Norman's memory called Off to War. And uh, that was extraordinary because for about a week, I immersed myself in the history, in this cabinet of all his things that came back from the trenches. And suddenly, whoosh, all these lyrics came to me. And it was as if it was him telling me what he wanted to say. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did that for um, the 100th anniversary concert that I was asked to put on at the Church of the Annunciation. And I'm so happy that they've asked me to do another one on this Thursday in Marble Arch at the Church of the Annunciation at 7.30 in the church there. And the extraordinary thing is that there main thing that they've got in the church, of course, from the altar, is uh, St. George dressed in full body armour, mm -hmm. a statue, and it's Norman's face. Right. And how did that one come to be? Well, it was extraordinary because uh, they knew about it, but I didn't. So when they, <laughs> came, when they came and asked me, would I do a concert for them? A hundred years to the day that Norman was killed, I, I had no idea. And my grandmother, Norman's Norman's sister, who normally told me everything about family history, she never mentioned the Church of the Annunciation. And I think the truth was, it was too painful for her to go to that church and see her brother. Mm -hmm. But still, a, a lovely memorial to a man who obviously was there to do his bit, play his part in the nation's war effort. And uh, so, we, as a well, grandson of Lord Raglan as well, obviously, uh, uh, it, it is you know, good to see it was all parts of British community who were doing their. Abs absolutely, yes, and I think uh, particularly uh, my my family, they've all been 
they've they, they, practically every generation has has served in the army. My grandmother and grandfather were rather horrified when I said I would not join the army. I joined the navy, <laughs> uh, and uh, I think they forgave me when they realised the navy could also march. Ah. The marching is the important part here, which is yeah. good. Well, I mean, Ed, I'm sure you'll be uh, uh, marking that this weekend appropriately and also on the 11th, uh, uh, as well as the uh, the service that you have coming up on Thursday evening. It's going to be, obviously, another poignant time and a time of coming together. Uh, the importance of making a donation to the popular appeal, sadly, does not diminish. It is something that we still need to this day looking after ex-service personnel through the Royal British Legion there. But in this case, we can uh, enjoy the the performances on the song, but also have that moment of reflection at the same time. Where do we go to to get hold of the track and also the previous work that you've done for Remembrance too? Yes. Well, uh, suffice to say, it's all on the likes of Spotify and Apple Music and and YouTube. And I always encourage people to go to YouTube because it doesn't cost them anything. And mm -hmm. uh, they get very good sound. And invariably, they get a bit of a video as well. So there's something to look forward to. Ch check all that out. Of course, you can also go to jamie-lonsdale.com uh, to find out details about all your other projects and work, and probably hopefully a little bit of family history too, because it's quite a rich one that you seem to have there. So uh, it's good to have heard some of that today. Jamie, thank you for joining us and uh, share a moment of reflection with you over the weekend. Well, thank you very much, Jason.
great outdoors can help our mental health. But have you considered getting mud between your toes? It might be the solution to some of the stress you're seeing in your life. Tell us more. I'm joined now by Country File regular and ethanobiologist James Wong and Katrina Mantle from Year Valley. Good afternoon. Hi, hi. Nice to meet you. Good to meet you both. Right, first of all, uh, James, tell us uh, a bit of what's going on here because this research is showing that we should be getting our tootsies dirty. Yeah, I mean, it is a fascinating body of evidence to look at and a fascinating movement if you're a botanist that really studies people's cultural relationship with plants. So if for those who don't know, grounding is a kind of internet-driven, celebrity-driven trend, which argues that skin contact with soil can have powerful mental and physical benefits. Um, so, for example, at its very kind of mild end, it might be wandering around in a park or a garden barefoot, or even just lying down on the grass. And at its very extreme end, it can, can be quite colorful, right? So you can buy kits, of course, in the world we live in. You can buy mats. Um, there's even this metal rod you can buy that you hammer into the ground and you wire yourself up to. Okay. There's this argument that electrical signals can physically ground you into the earth, and that has benefits. So it would be an earth the same way as the toaster is, just in case it goes wrong. <laughs> Very much so. And I think we can all agree that it's colourful. Does it have a huge amount of scientific evidence? Well, I would say that what we do know is that being in the natural world, walking in green space, seeing green space, even if it's simulated, has a huge amount of really good evidence that backs it up. That evidence has been accruing for decades, and it's really consistent. And doing things like if you're doing very light grounding, as in walking around barefoot, you can't do that without being in the natural world. So I, I'm I'm going to say jury's very well and truly out on grounding as a subject, but being in the natural world has it. And when I've been working with Yo Valley Organic, and they did a really, really interesting recent trial uh, and a study of different people. What they found is 48% of us don't spend enough or feel we don't spend enough time in the natural world. And 76% of us want to improve our mood. And it's a shame that it's such a simple and easy solution that's out there to improve our mood that we're not really taking up. And it's perhaps because people think that to spend time in the natural world, you have to do stuff like walk around barefoot in the middle of November. I'm, you know, I'm sure in Southern California at this time of year, it's pretty nice to do that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not in, in November in central London where I am. Oh, well, I can, yeah. I'll say not in Wolverhampton. Yeah. Exactly, right? It's like, <laughs> it's my lunch break soon. I'm going to go out to the local park, five, 10 minutes walk away. In, a, in between a rain shower, I'll do that. I've got some houseplants just off, off camera, which I've been looking at earlier. Even having a green view of something that you isn't even outdoors, Having a couple of houseplants can make a measurable impact. So these small everyday interventions that anyone can do that can have a great uh, cumulative effect. You don't have to go full Gwyneth Paltrow to get some benefit. Yeah, the mud between the toes is not essential. I'd have to admit I have enjoyed walking on grass barefoot in the past. Katrina, is this something you get up to? And does it help come up with new ideas for fantastic flavours from your valley? <laughs> Uh, absolutely getting out to nature definitely makes me feel better um, and it definitely makes everyone down at Yo Valley feel better as well um, particularly our herds um, so obviously getting out in the great outdoors is really important for our organic dairy cows um, because they're organic and we encourage them to be outside um, on the lovely fields um, around Yo Valley um, which is great um, putting their hooves in the lovely soil down there um, which definitely makes them happier. 
Certainly, I think if you've actually got hooves, it's an essential part of having a stress-free life and uh, enjoying chewing the cud for then us to enjoy as part of the uh, Yo Valley Organic Range. That sounds like a plan. Uh, but oh, I, mean, yeah. I mean, James, is it known for you to maybe take out a picnic when you're doing all of this as well and, you, and, and sit there eating your lunch with your yogurt at lunchtime and enjoying it that way? So this is the really interesting thing. Lots of different aspects of being in the natural world seem to help but they also seem to layer upon themselves. So we know, for example, that exercise improves mood, but we know that exercise in green space improves it better. We know that social interaction improves mood, but social interaction in green space does it better. So uh, we know that mindfulness, enjoying food in a mindful way, um, you know, selecting things, sharing things, uh, not quickly eating something while you're trying to answer emails on your phone at the same time, <laughs> but actually sitting and enjoying that food can make a difference. And so something like a picnic really just layers all of those things. And so you get uh, the whole that's greater than some of its parts. So yeah, definitely it's something to do. I, I am like a picnic basket champion. If there was a Camp Olympics, I'd be great at that. That sounds absolutely fantastic. And Katrina, obviously we don't have any interruptions to organic products from your Valley, do we? Absolutely not. We definitely don't need any interruptions. <laughs> and uh, so can we find out more about this research online? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we're just starting to upload it, but there's loads of great tips on how to connect better with soil at yovalley.co.uk. Uh, Y-E-O-Valley.co.uk. And uh, uh, again, Katrina, uh, with the organic status of uh, your products as well, uh, we know that we bring in the, uh, the best of the environment onto our table. Absolutely. Uh, what we want to do is bring nature to life uh, through our products. Um, so by giving our cows natural organic diets, um, encouraging them to be outside, not using any synthetic chemicals, fertilizers, um, we hope we bring the greatest taste of dairy to everybody. And uh, James, again, I think something we wholeheartedly agree with, uh, enjoying these things and enjoying the great outdoors, the two go, do go together hand in hand. Absolutely. Mine's strawberry. That's what I'm having, just in case anyone's interested. I'm going to be okay. in 15 minutes having some of that. Okay, we'll look out for you uh, on on some webcam somewhere enjoying a strawberry uh, <laughs> you know, organic yogurt. That sounds like a plan. Uh, Country Folk regular and ethanobiologist as well as TV presenter James Wong and, and Katrina Mantle from Yo Valley. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. There is a call for more than 10,000 foster carers across the UK. Wolverhampton will need its own fair share. To tell us more, I'm joined now by Olympic legend Fatima Whitbread and also by Steve Christie, CEO of the National Fostering Group. Good afternoon to you both. Good, Good afternoon. afternoon. So first of all, Fatima, uh, obviously you've got an interest in the world of fostering, haven't you? Oh, I should say so. I mean, I spent the first 14 years of my life in children's homes and uh yeah, it's, it's very close to my heart. And I think it's very important that we understand that these young children in the care system uh, have a right to a, a safe and happy childhood. And why wouldn't you want to think about fostering and uh, the importance of it? Because it's a very rewarding job. It also gives the love and security to uh, children, which gives them the, the stability that they need um, growing up. And uh, the National um, Fostering Group are there to help you if you want to do that. So, you know, for me, it's all about giving the love and security to these young children and uh, teens. Absolutely. And uh, Steve, I mean, there's all sorts of reasons why people who might have thought about fostering go, well, yeah, is it right for me? So things like I'm a too old, I, they have their own children, uh, being single or working. And, 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 you know, these things are not necessarily a barrier, but just things that you work around when you do become a foster carer. 
Absolutely. And I think it's those misconceptions we're trying to sort of banish. And, and you know, the, the, the phrase that I like to use is if you've got the love in your heart and the space in your home, you can be a foster carer. And I think that's the most important thing. Aside from that, you know, there are people that think you can be too old to be a foster carer. Not true. You know, some of our foster carers are in their 70s and 80s. There are people that think you can't foster if you've got a job. Not true. Lots of our foster carers have got jobs they do alongside fostering. There are There are people that think you can't foster if you're uh, you have a disability or you're from the L LGBTQ plus uh, <clears throat> uh, person, then you can't foster. But absolutely none of that's true. You know, the, the, there are fostering uh, can be done by people from all realms of life. And and uh, yeah, it's it's open to, to anyone who can provide that loving home for a child. And Fatima, obviously, you know, as we've said, that this can make a huge difference. And uh, I, I assume an awful lot of your success, which we have all seen on a global scale, comes yeah. down to uh, the way you were cared for. Oh, well, I mean, obviously, for, for 14 years of my life in the children's homes, it was pretty tough, you know, um, a, an existence. And uh, and I had to find something that would uh, keep me um, uh focused and and feel good of self-worth and sport was that for me I mean obviously I used to like doing sport in, in school with all my uh, different uh, sporting events like hockey netball I used to find myself being the captain of the teams and and it was through sport that I found the love of the Whitbread family too so um, you know I, I I'm looking to uh, this is quite a big ministry for me to help these young children and build this uh opportunity of, of finding the loving secure homes for these kids and and uh, also build a legacy uh, through Fatima's UK campaign which is to bring uh, the whole thing together the care sector and uh, you know and 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 find you know uh, future um, families for you know these children and building that legacy in future generations to come I'm, I'm a no I'm no stranger to uh, what it's like uh, and under no illusions how these children uh, uh, you know struggle within the, the care system um, but at the same time I, I think it's remarkable that we uh, could find foster carers that that have been out there and done a remarkable job over the years but also the, in the, in the future if you think that you've got a loving home to to offer these children's what's stopping you let's get going because you know we need to find this this uh, opportunity right now you know and uh, in this day and age it's uh, only going to get worse because you've got 4.2 million uh, people living in poverty there's over 800,000 uh, people living on the food banks there's 105,000 children in the care system and yes as you said nationwide there's 10,000 shortage of, of foster carers and that's, that's appalling it's a, it's a statistics you know and we need to you know get the national foster group are getting all the information out there for you if you're interested in being a foster carer and and it is a very rewarding job and making a difference to these young children's lives please step forward you know go on the website look 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 them up and then they'll help you every step of the way Mm -hmm. And Steve, I mean, we know that uh, two uh, areas in the Midlands are in particular need. They're not Wolverhampton. Is it? We've got uh, Sandwell and uh, also you've got Telford and Reakin, but uh, they border our area. Uh, and also that means that, you know, there's, there will be people who are working in Wolverhampton who may well live in Telford and Reakin or, or Sandwell. So this is a direct call to those people if this is something that they are, you know, feel able to do to come forward. But I mean, also in across Wolverhampton, we still continue to, to put the PLA out because 
services, 70,000 uh, children in foster care and council care at the moment. And obviously we want you know, the right sort of home for them for this as well. Yeah, I think we need foster carers everywhere. You know, I think some of the local authorities have got back to us with their specific needs and they are pretty shocking. But I think the thing to focus on is the, the 10,500 uh, carers that we need across the UK. And certainly uh, in Wolverhampton, you know, that there, there, there will be a need for foster carers in that area. You know, there's a sad statistic which is showing that the numbers of children coming into care is, is gradually increasing, but also the number of foster carers is gradually decreasing. And that is impacted by by things like uh, the housing crisis, where lots of birth children are living at home for longer than they would. It's impacted by the fact that there's a sort of virtually zero unemployment. So people that might have come to fostering as a, as a, as a job, as a way of earning a living, are finding other things to do. So the, the need for foster carers is, is one that is, extends, you know, for the next, it, it, it will be, there will be a need for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. So I think if anybody's got any interest whatsoever, you know, there's all sorts of different types of fostering, you know, whether it's uh, carers that will look after children long term or short term or respite carers um we have lots of different types of uh of of, of uh, foster carers that look after children at different stages of their lives and and i would i would just say anybody who's interested it could be somebody listening now to this program in in wolverhampton who could totally change the life of a child and and you know t take that child who, who perhaps would turn up on their doorstep with a bin liner full of mm -hmm tatty clothes and a teddy bear and, and give that child the love and support they need and, and allow that child to go on and grow into a, a, a really successful, you know, adult and have the life chances that we all take for granted. And in fact, they haven't got to all become gold medalists, have they? You're just one example. I mean, look, there are a lot of us care experienced um, uh, that are out there that, that have, have done for, very well uh, moving forward. It's not for everybody, but find what it is. If you give a child hope, there's nothing that child can't do. I mean, give them the opportunity of a loving, secure family, and you may well see them not just surviving, but thriving. I think it's so important that we believe in our young children and celebrate them, you know, because unfortunately that uh, they, they find themselves in the care system through no fault of their own. And, you know, early intervention would be a great thing if if we could get it. Um, but uh, as we speak now, you know, obviously they need they need you to step forward. They need they need your love. They need your guidance. They need the st stability in their lives in order for them to see what it is that they can achieve when they're moving forward. There's nothing, as I said, they can't they can't achieve if they're if they've given that opportunity of, of a loving, secure home and and somebody who believes in them. And please, Absolutely. you know, get on with with it, please. So, Steve, give us those details of how people do initially get in touch. So just Google National Fostering Group uh, or nfa.co.uk and there, there's a whole world of information on there about fostering. Uh, even if it's something you're thinking about in the future, you know, we can we can provide that information to you and uh, and and get in touch. And, and you know, it would be wonderful to, to hear from people. Well, Steve Christie, CEO of the National Fostering Group and Fatima Whitbread, MBE. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Well, that's it all for this week. Thank you so much for joining me back with episode 751 next week. I'll see you then. Ta-ra for now. Goodbye from the milk bar. Goodbye from the milk bar. Goodbye from the milk bar.
Goodbye from the milk bar, yeah. Goodbye from the milk bar, yeah.